0: Good morning. Our scripture reading today comes from two passages, Philippians 3, verses 12 through 14, and Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 4. You can find these in your pew Bible on pages 1015 and 1042, respectively. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And then Hebrews 12:1 through 4. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. This is the word of the Lord. Be
1: to God. Well, we're in the second of a series entitled Olympic Faith What It Takes to Win. And we talk about this in anticipation of what we think is going to be the Rio Olympics. Let's continue to pray for that situation down there. We talked about that last week. And it's significant that we're, we have an image here this morning of being in the arena of faith. Did you know that this was an arena? Last Tuesday afternoon, Mary Jane and I were heading out uh, the front doors late afternoon from the church. It was raining outside, and not far from us was this guy, and we saw him from the back, and he had long hair, much longer than Stephen Ray's, and he was going along, and he seemed just really out of it, and he was wandering around, appeared to be aimlessly, and I was like, okay, who is this, what's he doing, what does he want, I honestly thought he was On something, I really did. I thought, okay, this is one of these cases we're going to have to deal with. I was like, "Can I help you? Can I help you?" And finally, he kind of got out of this trance. He was like, "Oh, sorry, sir. Have you ever heard of Pokemon Go? (laughs) Uh, You probably know. You take your phone, you can get pokeballs and this kind of thing." Well, I was like, "Yeah," and I thought, "Well, let's somehow try to get him in the church house and everything." So I invited him in. We started talking. We walked into here. He got all excited. He was like, dude, this is a Pokemon arena. This room is a Pokemon gym. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> but I decided it might be a nice form of outreach. You know, I asked, you, know, you know, my son comes up with stuff very quickly. He's an improviser, as you know. And I said, Nick, uh, you know, let's, let's have this as a form of outreach. You know, can you think of a slogan real quick? And immediately he said, uh, Jesus loves you all. Come on in and get a Pokeball. So there you go. You'll see that outside very soon. But as Christians, we really find ourselves in the largest arena of all, called the arena of faith. And I don't say that to romanticize it, it's the truth, and I'll get to that later. It is the largest arena of faith, and today we're talking about the need to have perseverance and endurance, and you really find it just packed full in just two wonderful verses. We're going to primarily look at Hebrews 12, chapters 1 and 2. We are called to persevere in this race of faith. Let's put verse 1 up there. Let me read through it one time. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Now, the key word in this entire verse is endurance. I know it appears later on in the verse, but the author of Hebrews placed it at the very front of the entire clause. In the Greek, literally, it says, with endurance let us run the race set before us. The focus is on endurance. You know, stealing second base, you need speed. 100-yard dash, you need speed. Marathons, like Blake was talking about, you need endurance. And that's what we need. It's critical for us as we live this life of faith in what seems to be a crazier and crazier world. We've got to have that endurance. Well, how do we find that? And That's really what we're going to break down this morning. First of all, we need discipline, where it says run the race. Uh, the word there for race is agona. It's where you get the word agony. It literally says run the agona." Uh, depicting, again, the toughness of it, the strain of it. But that's what it takes to lead to victory. Do you remember last week when I quoted uh, from uh, the piece by David Brooks, who's a columnist who is very close friends with the evangelical theologian John Stott? And on John Stott's deathbed, David Brooks came in and said, you know, Dr. Stott, what is the last bit of advice you would want to share with me before you go on to glory? And instantly, uh, John Stott said, do the hard thing. Do the hard thing. You know, take the path of least resistance, go the easy way, and it's going to wind up being all about mediocrity. Do the hard thing. Last week, we talked about uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, where Scripture is inspired by God, and to study that Scripture is profitable for what? The word there is training, training. Blake alluded to that as well. Training and the word there is agonismos, which again is the word for agony. It's tough and it's strenuous, but that strenuous preparation gets us ready for the strains of life, this race of life. Now, Cl- Cliff Young thought that he was prepared for a race. I love this story. I remember first hearing about it back in 1983. That's Cliff right there. Uh, he entered the Australia Ultra Marathon. It's a 578. Uh, mile foot race from sydney to melbourne and it takes days and you have professional athletes marathoners triathletes all entering it shortly before the race here's cliff the 61 year old cattle herder okay cliff young and he and he goes up to the registration table in overalls and galoshes over his work boots and he registers for the race and the people behind the officials thought it was a joke and they started laughing he said no i'm really serious and that made them laugh even harder He said, no, I really think I can do this, and they said, what makes you think you can beat all these young professional runners here? He said, well, I grew up on a farm, and we couldn't afford tractors and horses, and we had cattle, so whenever the storms would roll in, I would have to go out and round up the cattle. In fact, there's a picture of him doing it right here. That's him doing it. And he said, sometimes there were like 2,000 cattle on these 2,000 acres, and I had to, had to run those cattle sometimes for two or three days. So I think I can do this. You know, if I can catch them, maybe I can run this race. And they were still laughing at him, and they didn't believe him, but they wound up pinning a number on his overalls, and that's how he ran. He goes to the starting line dressed that way. Well, these other <laughs> runners look at him like, this, this is interesting. And uh, the gun goes off. And all these sculpted bodies with these beautiful paces, these beautiful strides start. Uh, not Cliff. Cliff didn't even look like a runner. He had this kind of awkward, goofy-looking shuffle. And the crowds on either side are laughing. You can hear from a clip, you hear, actually hear a guy say, get that old fool off the track. Five days, 14 hours, and four minutes later at 1.25 in the morning... Cliff Young shuffled across the finish line of that 578 mile ultra marathon. He won it. Not by a nose, not by minutes, not even by an hour or two. The second place runner, this is true, second place runner was 9 hours and 56 minutes behind. <laughs> Almost 10 hours behind. New world record he shattered the ultra marathon record. He became an instant hero in Australia. And up to then, when you ran in this marathon, you would usually run for around 17, 18 hours straight, and then you'd sleep for three or four hours. Cliff didn't know that. (laughs) And he was used to being up with the cattle, trying to run the cattle, you know, so he shuffled his way to victory without ever sleeping. Five days, 14 hours, and four minutes at the age of 61. That's endurance. And later he said it was the discipline of training, the agonah, as he chased after those cattle that made him win that race. So running the race of faith does take discipline. If I were to ask you what part of your spiritual training is flagging right now, is weak, and we talked about this last week, we focused a lot last week on Bible study and prayer every day. Do you do that every day for inspiration? You don't have to do an intense critical study of the Bible, but just open it up to be inspired and guided by it, maybe reading a psalm or a part of Philippians or something like that. We talked about that last week. But is that where you are flagging or is it in your regular confession of your sins? Is is it the gathering together of believers like in this place? If you had to pinpoint one where you said, I need more discipline, more training in that, what would it be? Well, obviously God wants you to be working on that training and that so you can run the race. What else do we need? We need discipline. We also need to be stripping off the weights. Let's go back to verse 1. It says what therefore since we are surrounded by a huge cloud of witnesses to the life of faith let us strip off every weight that slows us down especially the what the sin that so easily trips us up now it says especially sin and if there's a sin that's an impediment to you right now if it's an impediment to you growing in grace as you need to what would that be if it is a sin could it be pride could it be conflict that you have with someone else could it be some bitterness you have about a situation Could it be a grudge that you're holding about someone? Could it be a behavior or an attitude that you wouldn't want other people to know about, and yet you know you need to do something about it? It could be laziness, uh, which really I think can be a sin. That's really the sin that the Hebrews were dealing with. The author of Hebrews was dealing with these Hebrew Christians. They were Jewish Christians who were wanting to go back to the way it was. They were lapsing back into laziness of nostalgia, You know, we want the good old days. We want it the way, like it was. And he's saying, don't do that. you got to strip off that weight and move on. Sometimes you and I get into a spiritual rut, a personal rut. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, get out of that and press forward. It's really reflective of the other passage that Wendy read, where Paul says, what? I throw back into the past everything, and I strain forward for what lies ahead. Forget about all that strain forward for what lies ahead. Now, notice that it says especially the sin in our lives. I find comfort in that because sometimes what is weighing me down is not a sin necessarily. It's just a struggle. It could be a fear about something. It could be about confusion about a decision. It could be uncertainty about the future. It could be be some self-doubt you're struggling with, some guilt from the past. And, And Jesus is saying it's time to strip that off. Get rid of that. You've been carrying that around way too long. Give it over to me and get to running this race. And don't feel alone, by the way, with these weights that you carry. I love Hebrews 11, which deals with the what of the faith. The what starts with an H. The what? Heroes of the faith. The heroes of the faith. And there's this long list of heroes of the faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And they are cheering you on. But let me tell you, these folks all had issues just like you do. Uh, Noah, who, yeah, built the ark and everything, and later on embarrassed his family with drunkenness. You have Abraham, who lied about his wife so that he would not be killed. Really, to protect himself, he lied. You have Jacob, who was a trickster, a thief. You have Samson, who was uh, too easily enticed by women. You have uh, David who not only committed adultery, but had someone murdered. You have Rahab, who was a prostitute. What they are saying in that great cloud of witnesses is, hey, we're not perfect. We weren't perfect when we were down there, but we stripped off those weights, and we kept going. We endured. We endured the race and claimed the victory at the end, and you can do the same. We were every bit as dysfunctional as you, but you can do it, and you can even be a hero of the faith. You know, think about that. Who is someone you know who's passed on, and yet they were such an encourager to you? They were a hero of the faith of sorts, but they took time out for you, poured some of themselves into you. Who comes to mind And do you realize how wonderfully and creatively they helped pour into you that you can be the person you can be? They're a part of this cloud of witnesses that's cheering you on and encouraging you. And that's really the third thing we need for endurance, not just discipline and stripping off these weights, but encouragement. And you have it. It says, what, a huge crowd of witnesses. Most translations say a cloud of witnesses, and that's closer to the Greek. And they are cheering you on, some of them seen, some of them unseen. Now, notice the very first word of this whole passage is what, therefore, And people have told you, whenever you see therefore, you have to ask what? What's it there for, right? Well, it's connecting with Hebrews 11, all about the heroes of the faith. It is a bridge from chapter 11 to chapter 12. So what is that saying? It's an open list. In other words, you're a part of that list of the heroes of faith. You belong with that crowd. And you can run with endurance as they ran. We belong to that list. And what's cool is it makes you realize, hey, I'm on the home team. This world is nuts, and as Peter sometimes said, we are resident aliens in this world, and yet when it gets down to it, we have the home team advantage. We have the home team advantage because we know where the ultimate destiny is and where the victory lies, and that's the best of news. And they're cheering us on, and they're doing it in the largest arena, again, the arena of faith. Anybody know the largest stadium in the U.S.? It's Michigan Stadium, 108,000 or so. I know Don Sullivan, I don't know if he's, he doesn't, he doesn't like that. Nayland Stadium will add some more, I'm sure, so they can be the biggest again. Go back to the Circus Maximus, though, in ancient times, and this is a rendition of where it was at the time. It seated 150,000 people. Think about that, 150,000. But we have the cloud of witnesses that eclipses this by so, so much. Some of you know what, I'm, what this is. Where is this, this next picture? Hodges Chapel, Stanford University. You may have worshiped in there. How many of y'all have seen this before? You got the dome and Yeah, oh, a lot of you. And you've got this picture of Jesus over here. And behind him, I don't know if you can see it, but you see all these faces behind him and his hands. And that's the cloud of witnesses. You see the, the clouds there. And then it goes on down in certain tiers, really. And it gets on down to some of the great leaders of the church through the years, like uh, Martin Luther and Lottie Moon and Augustine and Athanasius and others. It's a wonderful, wonderful piece. But when you look at the, the word for cloud in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it's nephos. It's used only there in the entire New Testament. And it's a depiction, really, of a horizon-filling cloud. Let's look at this one. This was the best I could find because that really kind of is a horizon-filling cloud. It keeps going up and up and up. It's a high cloud that rises And I like to think about that because that cloud of witnesses, it's like in the first row there you might see the heroes of the faith in Hebrews 11. And then next tier up you might see a a, a people whom you knew, whom I asked you about a moment ago, who were your personal heroes of the faith. And then you might see some of the apostolic fathers and then some of the post-apostolic fathers. And then you might see some of the church fathers. Then later on you might see some of the great evangelists through the years and some of the martyrs through the years. And, And ultimately people all the way up until now who are all cheering you on, encouraging you to be the best runner you can be in this race called life. And it says a cloud of witnesses. That's martis in the Greek. That's where you get the word martyr. But it means those who testify for us. They encourage us. Tertullian wrote his book uh, Ad Maturitum and it's the book entitled On the Martyrs, and he wrote about the martyrs, and he talked about when Christians were dragged into the Colosseum to be put to death, whether by by being burned alive or by wild animals or by the sword, whatever it might be. Pockets of Christians would be throughout that huge Colosseum. They would be watching this, and when they came out, they would stand up, and at their own risk, they would cry out, finish the race, finish the course, finish the race. Now, if they can do that at their own risk, we can encourage one another. Years ago, when I was interim pastor here at one point, and, and we were, there was a point where we were needing to, as I will just say, coveting the good. We need to covet the good in each other that we see and encourage that in one another. Covet the good of this church as a whole. We need to be doing that. That's exactly what the writer of Hebrews is telling us to do. That will give us more endurance and perseverance as we press on. So we need discipline in the stripping of weights away that weigh us down and encouragement. And we also need to fix our eyes. Let's go to the next verse. These are two rich verses, Hebrews 12, 2. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding it, shame, now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. The word, therefore, keep your eyes or fixing your eyes in some translations is oparumpus. It, 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 it makes, it, it's really depicting looking only at one thing, one solitary thing, but it also has a double meaning. It's, it's looking at one thing and one thing only and looking away from everything else. That's really what it's talking about. Uh, my nephew, Milam, is, Deanna, how many years old now? Fourteen, thank you. Uh, Earlier this summer, he was in Atlanta. He went to point guard camp. He's a really good basketball player, so he went to point guard camp. And I asked him recently, we were down on the coast together on vacation. I said, well, what did you learn that week for point guard camp, basketball camp? And he said, I learned that when I'm, when I'm bringing the ball down, when, when the ball is inbounded to me and I'm bringing the ball down, do you know where you're supposed to look? Does anybody know? You look at the rim. I didn't know that. He said, you look at the rim down the way. That's what you do. That's the way Bobby Hurley did it. That's the way Nate Archibald did it. All these great point guards said, that's what you do. You look at the rim. He said, because when you do that, you can see the big picture, and you can manage the big picture, and you can see how it could turn out best. And I thought, how fascinating. You just look at the rim. You can read the court. And I think, you know, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. When we do that, we can see the big picture, and hopefully we can trust the big picture. Uh, Blake and I went over to Truvine the other day, hung out with Ralph, had a great time, Ralph Garth. And uh, we ran into tall Paul. How many of y'all know tall Paul? Paul is great. Paul works over there a lot. He's, he's a recovering addict like so many people who are in Ralph's church. And he was so cool and so excited because he starts a new job tomorrow, and he had been out of work for a while. Paul is about, how tall is he, y'all? Six, seven, six, eight. What is it? Six, nine. Yeah, I believe it. I believe it. Uh, does he? He's taller than your husband, isn't he? Wow. Yeah, that, how often does that happen? Okay. Uh, and I remember he brought me into the baptistry of the sanctuary there that they're hoping to worship in real soon because it's getting repaired and everything. And he had cleaned out the baptistry and all. He was really proud of that. So here we are standing in the baptistry, you know. I don't think people could see me out there. They could, they could see him. And... Uh, but he was telling, man, I tell you, Pastor Barnett, he said, you know, I learned, and he's got these huge hands. I learned, if I just take my hands and put them in his hands, in his just take my hands and put them in his hands, you don't have to worry. It's going to work out. You know, seek ye first the kingdom of God, Brother Jim. And, I mean, he started preaching. I was like, I'm with you. I'm, amen. You know, And he just kept going, put, putting my hands in his, fixing my eyes on him. You know, and, 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 and we're called to fix our eyes on Jesus, no one else, whether it's a good person or a bad person, nothing else whether it's good or bad. You know, during the transfiguration in the gospel account where the disciples were watching this incredible glowing light where Jesus was there and then Elijah and Moses appeared, the end of the story is what? Elijah and Moses go away, these two rock stars of the Old Testament. And what does God say to the disciples? Do you remember? This is my son. Listen to him. These other two did great things, but this is my son. Listen to him. We need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Now, let me say, that sounds really cool. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. But I mean that in a way that we don't idealize that or romanticize it, but we do that in difficult, stressful, hurtful situations where we have to make certain decisions to do it the way Jesus would have it done. And I think that is critical these days in this world where right now there's a lot of crazy stuff going on. And when we think we, we prayed about the shootings in, in Dallas the other uh, Sunday. And I want to show you a clip. This, this was uh, not long at all after the shootings in Dallas. And a Black Lives Matter uh, group uh, got together to, to do a protest. And lo and behold, they saw some counter-protesters across the street And what happens, and what would Jesus do? Can we show that clip?
0: I can't just sit back and and feel this way without trying to change it. Yeah, the Black Lives Matter and stuff, we all matter. Y'all, this is how you kick down the wall. This is how you kick down the wall.
1: It's
0: time for us to stop this today. No more walls today. We're gonna show the rest of the country how we came together. Uh-huh. Everybody, get it in here, man! Everybody, get it in! Everybody, get it in! Everybody, everybody get it in! Man. Everybody, get it in man. everybody, get it in! And I, I thank you so much, as I am so humble, that you allowed us to come on show. and that today. Pray again. thank you so much that everybody makes it. Amen. Amen.
1: Amen. Don't take lightly this romanticized, what could be a romanticized phrase of "fixing your eyes on Jesus. What, what could have happened differently there if someone had not fixed their eyes on Jesus? I think they did what Jesus would have done. Don't take that lightly. And they listen him focused on that. And again, it has to do with even with your own grudges or bitterness or your own prejudices, whatever. You've got to throw those into the past and reach forward for what lies ahead and for what is best. What keeps you from doing that? I was inspired on bring him up again, Ralph Garth. I remember some time ago we were together and he got like three different phone calls while we were at lunch. And they were all intense things. One person was tripping out on coke. Another person, you know, was lying on the street somewhere. Another situation. I mean, he deals with stuff like that every week. And I remember asking him, Ralph, how do do you not give up? How do you not just kind of go back? And here's what, he was a heroin addict, what, 25 years. How do you not give up? How do you not just, just, just go back? And I'll never forget, quickly, he said, Jim, going back for me is death. And he's serious. He's like, for me to go back at all is automatic death for me. He said, I know that. And he said, brother, that'll motivate you. That's what he said. And, and in a sense, if you expand that, all things do lead to death. So forget that stuff and focus on life and the life that Jesus gives. Fix your eyes on Jesus. You know, the author of Hebrews uses the form in that passage, uh, endured. He endured. Let's go, to, let's go back to uh, verse 2 there, Steve. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Just keep it right there. But again, he endured the cross, and I think about that. You know, we can keep our eyes fixed and focused on him because he focused on what the cross, you know, in the Greco Roman world back then, the word for cross was staros. Cicero himself said it should never be said because it was a subhuman word reserved for criminals and slaves, and a Roman citizen could never be put to death on a cross. It was that horrible, you shouldn't even use the word, and yet that is precisely what Jesus endured for you and for me focusing on that so we need discipline we need to strip away the weights and encourage one another we need to fix our eyes on jesus and finally and this you need to study this we need to share the joy now let me read hebrews 11 39 40 this is just before the therefore in chapter 12 verse 1 all these people earned a good reputation these are the heroes of the faith because of their faith yet none of them received all that god had promised for god had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. You know what that's saying? The heroes of the faith want us to be a part of the race. They kind of need us to be a part of the race. And they want us to share the joy that awaits us at the end of the race. That's so wonderful. You know, we should be thankful just to be a part of it. You know, we are blessed beyond measure. I know we talk about that, but we can still sometimes be so ungrateful we're blessed so much. We've achieved so much, but we can be so ungrateful. If I mention the name Michaela Moroni, do you know who Michaela Moroni is? This is Michaela Moroni. Michaela won the silver medal for the vault in the 2012 Olympics, and that was her expression on the podium. That's her on the podium when she got the silver. And uh, it started this whole viral movement you found on the internet called Michaela Moroni is Not Impressed. And uh, it was just great, and I can only show a few of these, but they imposed this picture of her being so dissatisfied on different things. What are some things she's not impressed with? She's not impressed with double rainbows. She's not impressed with Van Gogh's starry night. She's not impressed with LeBron's trophy for the NBA victory. She's not impressed with the royal wedding. She's not even impressed with the Sistine Chapel. God bless her. Okay, okay. That got really, really popular for a while. Well, it's funny because she got the silver and was so upset she didn't get the gold. I had never heard of silver medal syndrome, but scientists and psychologists have studied this, and and bronze medalists are much—they are qualitatively happier than silver medalists uh, because they're just happy to be there. You know what I mean? They're happy to be on the podium at all. <laughs> silver medalists—it's like, oh, I didn't quite get it. I didn't get enough. I didn't achieve enough. But again, I thought about that for us. Do you and I ever kind of struggle with silver metal syndrome? I've been blessed, but I still would like this. Uh, I'm not as joyful as I could be. I'm malcontented because I don't have that, or I'm not like that person, or let me compare myself to whomever, whatever. But I go back to verse 2, and it's like, you know, just to be in the race with the champion, what does it say? The champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Some of us learned it as Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith or the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. What does that mean literally? It means he's the one who started all this and had I not been washed in the blood because of his crucifixion, I wouldn't even get to be a part of this race and so I get to be a part of it and he's there at the beginning, he's there at the end and he's with me every step of the way. Wonderful news and I'm gonna close with this fascinating passage it says because of the joy awaiting him he endured the cross because of the joy awaiting him what is that about for the joy awaiting him some of us uh learned it as for the joy set before him he endured the cross tim keller helped me with this because what does this mean what was the joy that caused jesus to come to earth was it for glory no he had glory was it for authority no he had all authority in heaven and on earth Uh, Was it for his relationship to God the Father? No, he didn't have to come to earth to have a better relationship with God the Father. didn't have to leave that. He already had all those things. Why did he come down here? What joy did Jesus not already have? You know what it was? The only thing he didn't have was you. Was you. You and me. The joy that was set before him was us. He had everything else. Doesn't it just blow your mind, though, that we were his inspiration to leave heaven? Because of you, it was his joy to leave heaven and offer you this life. Folks, for that reason alone, I think we can run this race and endure. Let's pray together. Forgive us, O God, when we flag in our zeal, when we become weak, when we don't train as we should. Teach us, O God, to fix our eyes on you that we might be more like you and run this race with purpose, with dignity, and with power, only the power that you can give us through the power of your Spirit. So be with us as we commit ourselves to doing this all the more this day. We pray these things in your name. Amen.